I'm not even going to make you stand because I'm not going to read a text. I'm going to tell a, a story that's way too long to read. And I'm also trying to break myself out of traditional confinement that I feel like I have to follow. And I just want to release the word of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but I just didn't have one for you today. I have a story. And I'm going to be reading all of the verses from 1 Samuel chapter 17. As today I release a prophetic word, I'm just going to lift it off of the story that we have all heard so many times. And this is the story of, De of David versing Goliath. So if you want to go ahead and turn with your Bible there to 1 Samuel chapter 17, you can follow along because there's going to be a segment of this. I'm literally going to pull out verse by verse. Um, and then I'm just going to talk about a concept. I do realize what time it is. I realize we had one service and there's no guilt in this house if you have to go at any time. I will say this. I have a, a something to release over sons and daughters. So if you're the parent of a teenager or a college-age student, I would ask you to be sensitive to allow them to stay. Is that fair enough? Please let them stay. I want everyone to stay, but I need the sons and the daughters in the house at the end. I will be as fast as the Holy Ghost takes me. Okay? So I'm just here to deliver the apologies I give her to the Lord if I don't obey him after this service, right? I'm just here to obey. So um, I want to talk just a moment about the setting of this story. I just got back from Washington last night, very late. was very privileged to go to the turnaround conference with Dutch Sheets in Washington, D.C. for the past three days. And it was awesome, church, because I was the calmest one in the room. It was like a group of crazy people that made me feel so normal, and I loved it. So I'm trying to get back in normal mode, but I have just been around crazy prophetic voices for three days that just do whatever the Lord says, and it was awesome. But it was because we are in a strategic turnaround over our nation right now. There's so much prophetic alignment, I can't even uh, begin to unload. But I felt assigned to come back to this house and bring the spirit and the impartation of what I received in Washington and align this house with it. You know, my, my delegated authority, Kevin's delegated authority is Chattanooga. It may not be the whole nation right now, it's the city. So I feel obligated to come back to this house, to this city, and release the word of the Lord over this nation so that we can come into alignment, that our personal hearts can come into alignment, and that this body can come into alignment. And as I was preparing for this Sunday before I left, because I knew the conference would be very time-consuming, the Lord had spoken to me to preach about slaying giants. Now, I want you to know this is a message that I love. Like, it's one of those things you just wait for God to give you permission to preach. And I haven't in some 10 years um, so when the Lord began to speak that to me, I was like, yes, we're going to slay giants. We're going to cut off Goliath's head Sunday. I'm so ready. And then I went this weekend, and I heard so much about the slaying of giants. My traditional preaching message just kind of had to wad it up because I'm going to talk about slaying giants in a very different way. And I realized the alignment God was setting us up for and our sons and daughters. So much so, after the conference was over yesterday, I stood in line and took my daughters to the new Museum of the Bible in Washington that just opened. And get in there, and the lady letting us in says, we have a special display here today, all the way from Israel. It is a display about the place where David killed Goliath. 
And I said, Lord, you are too good. You knew I could not get to Israel before Sunday, so you brought it to me. And I began to walk through a display about this strategic battle. So I'm wired this morning. It's in my belly, and I'm ready. So I'm just going to go through the verse. I don't even know if I'm going to preach today. I may just declare. Um, And I want to talk about a generation that is anointed to slay giants. I want to talk about that right now in the kingdom, in this nation, there is a Davidic anointing. We heard this from Sam Brassfield, a Davidic anointing being released on the sons and daughters of God. There is not an age limit to this Davidic anointing, but I will tell you it is strongly being emphasized on the sons and daughters because of what I said during the Wild Ones Conference. They didn't grow up in Egypt, and they are more apt to receive it. And I want to say to the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas in this house, if you're going to receive this anointing to slay giants, it's going to cause you to have to shed some old religious mindsets that would hinder your ability to stand in victory. So it's not an age thing, it's a submission thing. But it is part of the destiny of the sons and daughters of this nation in this awakening that has sprung up, in this revival that has sprung up among our sons and daughters. There is a Davidic anointing being released on this house. I'm going to talk about that Davidic anointing. It's a worshiping warrior. It's a harp-playing swordsman. It's a beautifully singing roaring warrior it's a gentle humble worshiper with bloody giants blood-stained hands doesn't go together right but it does we've been releasing a davidic anthem without even realizing it over our sons and daughters every time we sing this is how i fight my battles It's a Davidic anthem of victory in submission and power through our worship and the ability to pull down strongholds by our submission before him. That's how a Davidic generation fights their battles. And so I want to look at the story of David. I could do a six-week series, and I'm not, but I challenge you to. But I want to focus on the battle that elevated him to destiny that he was already anointed for. Before David ever faced Goliath, he was already anointed to be king. He was already an anointed giant slayer. He was already anointed in dominion and the authority of heaven. But there was a battle that unlocked or unearthed or unveiled what was already in him. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David was set up for a battle he did not go looking for. He was just a humble shepherd boy with the oil of God smeared upon him who showed up at a battlefield out of obedience to his father to bring something to his brothers. But when you're anointed to be a giant slayer, you will stumble upon battles you you really didn't know you were going to stumble upon. And the anointing upon you will pull something out of you you didn't know was there. And when you're anointed, you cannot hear the taunts of the enemy and do nothing. 
So young people, I just want you to know if you can sit in a circle with your friends and hear them take the Lord's name in vain and nothing rises up within you, I would challenge the anointing on your life. But when you're in circles and you hear people defame your God and, and your faith and something rises up within you and those around you want to say, oh, just hold hands and sing Kumbaya and love everybody and something rises up within you, I want to tell you that's the anointing. That's the Davidic anointing on your life that cannot stand when God is being ridiculed. And so David just showed up. And let me just talk about this setting because there's such a prophetic layer. And I'm going to read these first few verses with a bunch of names I don't say right. But the Philistines gathered their forces for war at Soko in Judah. And camp between S-O-C-O-H, Soko and Ezekah in Ephem's Damon. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. I want to talk about the setting of Goliath's camp. Because what we find is, and, and this is what, oh, I do this every time. This is what we saw yesterday was there was a valley in the land of Judah, the land of praise. This land clearly belonged to the children of Israel, but it was on the border of the Philistine land. And here we find that Goliath sets up camp. He sets up camp in a place called Shoka and Ezekiah. Now, those names are really hard names to pronounce, but if you look at the meaning of them, it helps you understand what gave Goliath a foothold to begin with. Because when I read this story, the first question I ask is, how did a giant get in Judah? How did a giant get on the land of Judah and set up camp and stand on a hill across from the children of Israel on God's land given by praise and ridicule their God? How did Goliath set up camp? But that word shoka literally means hedge. A hedge of bushes. A hedge of protection. But Ezekiah means broken up. So what you find is Goliath set up land between Shoka and Ezekiah, which really means the giant made his place in a broken up hedge. The place that was supposed to be hedged in was really broken up. It was a torn down wall. Young people, I hope you will remember this, the doubt I stood up here with a wall and a cage. And I talked about how the Lord wants to free his people from the cage of bondage. But not to leave them out in the open of vulnerability. But to put them behind a wall of covenant. David was a man of covenant, but God's people were out of covenant. And because they had forsaken the covenant of Yahweh and given themselves to idolatry, their hedge of protection had been broken up. The wall of covenant was broken. And that is where Goliath set up his camp. Where the wall was broken. And I'm here to tell you in America, we have a broken wall of covenant. And it has allowed some giants to set up camp. Not only were they between Soka and Issachar, but Ephesdamon means the edge of blood or the boundary of blood drops. This is too much for some of you today, but just take notes. Not only was Goliath camped at a place of the broken down hedge, but he was surrounded by a place called the boundary of blood drops. When I think of blood drops, I think of the seal of covenant and the blood of Jesus Christ, which produces the hedge around our life. 
what covers your home, what covers your children. It's when you plead the blood of Jesus over your life and over your family, over our city and over our nation. When you step behind the wall of covenant, you really step behind a line of blood drops, the blood of Jesus Christ, which testifies to your freedom and your covering from every assignment of the enemy. But on this day, Goliath was protected by a different series of blood drops. The blood drops of covenants of idolatry. See, the children of Israel had been sacrificing even their children to false gods. They had been breaking the blood of covenant, not with Yahweh, but with the idols of the pagans and the idols of the Philistines. And because of that, we see Goliath is camped out at a broken down hedge with the blood drops of false covenant all around him. This is where the giant obtained his foothold. And this is where the giants in this nation have obtained their foothold. This is where the giants in this city have obtained their foothold. And maybe you're not here today facing any giants, but some of you know there's some giants over your house. And I challenge you to check the bloodline around your house, to check the hedge of covenant that you're supposed to be walking in. Because a giant will always camp out where there is false blood of false covenant and broken down walls. What else are the blood drops that have given the giants in this land protection? And yes, I'm going to go there today. The shedding of innocent blood in our nation. There are blood drops spilled all over the soil of this nation from the cries of the innocent who have been aborted in utero. If you are in this house, I'm coming for you today. So don't you get scared if you have been the product of a lifestyle of abortion, you have committed an abortion, or your family has been touched by abortion. Today is your day of hope and healing. This will not be a message of condemnation, but it is the truth that will set us free. And today I am mantled with truth that will not only set you free, but will break the curse off of your house. The blood drops of the innocent cry out from the soil of this nation. Blood speaks. That's a whole other word. Blood speaks. Life is in the blood and the blood is not silent. The first murder that ever took place in scripture when Cain killed Abel, the father said, his blood is crying to me from the soil. And I'm here to tell you, the blood of the innocent is crying from the soil of this nation, crying for justice. And the enemy has encamped in that blood as a covering for his camp. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ shed his blood to break every sin and every curse of the enemy. Not only did Abel's blood seep into the ground, not only have the blood of the innocent in this nation that has been killed fallen to the ground, but 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified on a cross, his blood flowed freely and seeped into the ground of the earth. And the word tells us this, his word has a greater message. His word has a greater cry his word cries mercy and where the enemy has sprinkled the blood of the innocent we must come behind him over this nation and sprinkle the blood of the lamb and 
nation has giants we have created. And only the blood of Jesus can cover the judgment we deserve. Thank God today is a day of mercy and mercy triumphs over judgment. And there is a blood that cries out a message to heaven that says mercy. And it's the blood of Jesus. I'm getting ahead of myself. So this giant has set up his camp in a broken down hedge with the blood of the innocent and the blood of idolatry and begins to address God's people. Goliath, I don't have time to go into it. He was dressed from head to toe in bronze. His shield, his boots, his everything he had was made of bronze. And bronze itself represents judgment. I wrote this down in my prayer time. Sometimes the giants in our lives are the result of our own lack of obedience to the covenant of God. And sometimes the giants standing before us are merely a response of judgment. Goliath was a 9, 10, 13, whatever report you read, foot-tall giant dressed in judgment, standing before God's people who had forsaken their covenant and taunting their God. And I'm here to tell you there are some giants on our land There are some giants in this city that we have helped to create. We have helped through our hatred to give foothold to. We have helped through our prejudice to give foothold to. We have through the shedding of innocent blood giving a camp to. And now our children are facing giants that we as their mothers and fathers have invited on this land. Because if you look at the history of Goliath, you'll find out he was the result of father and mother and grandmother and grandfather who did not completely obey the Lord and destroy the enemy as they were commanded. And Goliath was birthed from a lineage that was supposed to have been destroyed hundreds of years prior. Are we, as mothers and fathers in the kingdom, going to watch our children face giants that we turned our back on? Not this mother. Oh, not this mother. I'm not going to live in my religious comfort coming to Sunday every, Sunday service every week to give my tithe and offering and do this religious obligation to God and go make successful life for my family and ignore the fact that my own idolatry has put a giant on my son's inheritance. Our children in this nation deserve more than religion. My God, I'm screaming because I'm full of passion to see our sons and daughters walk in the fires of awakening. And there are giants standing in the way. Giants I have helped create. What have we done to the message of the kingdom? We've created, we've turned it into church membership. Christian bumper stickers. And we have a form of godliness and not one ounce of power. And our sons and daughters are inheriting a land that is riddled with giants. And today, we're doing something about it. What do we do when our children learn to worship the idols that we have put on our chimney mantles? What do we do 
when we look at a generation and we criticize their apathy and their wickedness and we criticize the gang violence and we criticize the shooting in schools, but the truth is they are simply a result of the nation we have helped to create. They learn their idolatry by watching our hatred. They learned our addictions by watching us. And they learned that church was nothing more than ritual because it's what we created for them. We disarmed our students. We disarmed our children. I'm going to go here. I told you it's not a sermon. Just buckle your seatbelt. I was watching a report about the school shooting that happened just a few weeks ago now in our nation. And I'm not here to talk about gun laws. Seriously, y'all, I'm here to prophesy, not even in that, that layer. But I must say something that was said in a debate about gun laws because it quickened my spirit. It's where I'm going today. A man got on some news channel and said, the, they were arguing over whether teachers should be armed in schools. And I'm not here to tell you my opinion. I mean, I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm not going to tell you from this pulpit. I was just listening. And a man got up and he said this. He said, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is for a good guy to have a gun too. And something about that statement just arrested my heart, not on a natural level, on a spiritual level. Because I began to see this shooting in a whole different light. Because however you feel about guns and whatever we do with that, I could care less right now. Because the greatest weapon our young people can have is not a gun. It's the Holy Ghost. But I began to look at that shooting in a whole other life. Because really what happened was there was an entire school of unarmed individuals. And one evil person with a gun. And they were open prey to the enemy because they were weaponless. And the Lord says, this is what you have done to the sons and daughters of this nation. The church has disarmed them and made them open prey to the enemy. Because we have taken away their spiritual weapons. And we have given them Mickey Mouse and video games. And told them that this is what spiritual warfare is. They do not know how to swing the weapons of their warfare. So when the enemy comes in, they are open targets for his weaponry. The answer for this generation is not to shield them. It's to equip them. Let me help a mama in here really quick. Sweetheart, the answer for your babies is not to shelter them. It's to equip them. This SWAT team guy began to say, if the students had known to pick up their desks and hurl it as the gunmen come in the door, they would have knocked him out. If the students had known to take their lockers and tip them off the wall. So I'm listening to all this going, yeah, yeah, I'm going to tell Jeremiah and Isaiah this. Yeah, I'm going to tell them, throw your desk, throw your locker, fight back, fight back. And then someone got on the news and said, yes, but if we go into schools and we start talking about this, it's going to scare children. And the SWAT team guy goes, sweetheart, there was a school of 3,000 kids who were pretty scared already. 
I'm not here to debate the natural. I'm talking about the supernatural layer. We think protecting our children is keeping them from the truth and keeping them from an arsenal. But I'm here to tell you that's not the answer in the church. This generation needs the arsenal of the Holy Ghost. They need to know the weapons of their warfare. They need the armor of God from head to toe. They need to know how to fight back in the name of Jesus. our schools when we removed prayer and you know I'm just so crazy I'm praying that God is going to give me the ability to figure out how to get prayer back in schools in Tennessee I'm crazy Woo! I felt that state by state it was taken out and by golly state by state we can put it back Shandamakasaya it's going to happen. Young people, you're about to help me. We're about to do battle. We're not running. We're not running. There was a 22-word prayer that was prayed in the public school systems of the United States of America. Chad, this is the one that starts with Almighty God, if you have it. I just wonder what would have happened at this high school if this had been the prayer that morning. Oh, yeah, we prayed a whole lot after the shooting happened. But we told our sons and daughters they couldn't pray before. This is what America used to pray. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on thee. There's a Davidic cry of surrender. And we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Every school morning, all over the United States of America, every son and daughter of every age, kindergarten through high school, made this declaration. Until one day, one parent, one parent said, my son's not going to pray that way. I wish I could tell you, oh, Jesus, don't do this, Devin. I wish I could tell you it was a Muslim parent, but it wasn't. I'm ashamed to tell you it was a Jewish parent. So don't sit there and stereotype religiously who did this. I'll tell you who did it. It was the Christians who ran when the giant growled and allowed it to happen. Because I can be the one mama that brings it back if one daddy can take it out. How about you doing that with me? So they took it out, they, they made it not mandatory for every student to pray it. And I don't have time to go through the timeline over how one state did it, then another state. And then they took the verdict further and further until prayer was completely removed from schools. And then we want to cry out for God to fix what happens in our high schools when there's drugs and gang violence and horrible things happening in the bathrooms and shootings. And we wonder if you go back and look at the history of removing prayer from schools, you will see the moral decline of our sons and daughters and our high schools and our middle schools being uncovered. 22 words that terrified the devil so much he made sure to remove it. And I'm here to tell you at our school here, we're going to be praying this prayer every day. And maybe you can equip your son and daughter with this 22-word prayer to pray because they don't have to have an intercom to pray it. 
Maybe in Chattanooga we can just, without legal permission, just pray under our breath at our desk and pray this same 22-word prayer. I am calling for a revival of prayer in our schools, and I don't need the Supreme Court to back me. We have sons and daughters in this house full of the Holy Ghost who can march in their classroom, sit at their desk, and pray however they want to pray. Why did we let a court system tell us to stop praying? Daniel never let the legal system stop him from praying. So I am praying for the grace of the Lord to fight this in our court system. But I'm not waiting to do it. And I'm calling on everyone in this house under the sound of my voice to help me bring prayer back to schools. Put it on an index card and let your child pray it wherever they are. This generation was meant to be giant slayers. God help me. Goliath challenged with a specific type of warfare. There's so much historical relevance to this. But there were two armies on two hills with the valley of Allah in between. And Goliath stood there and said, send me one. Okay? It was a very common type of warfare, especially if you had a giant like Goliath on your side. To prevent the shedding of innocent blood and to prevent, uh, to prevent a battle that would go a long time, they would do man-to-man combat. So it was an agreement upon both sides. You send me a strong man, I'll send you a strong man. If your strong man wins, we surrender. If, you, if the other strong man wins, we surrender. Man-to-man combat. So what you find here is Goliath is basically saying, you don't have a man in your camp that can whip me. So we're going to do man-to-man warfare. And he presented himself and said, send me one. Send me one. And day after day, guess for how long? For 40 days. 40 days. Those of you that are on Lou Ingalls fast, maybe that's just why. For 40 days, Goliath stood up and said, I curse your God. Send me somebody that's going to do something about it. And for 40 days, the children of Israel were terrified and ran from a giant. These are the same children of Israel that saw the miracles in the wilderness. And they're running from a giant, one man, because it shows the power of one. It just takes one. Oh, please hear me today, young people. Please hear me today, moms and dads. We don't have to have a movement. We just have to have one. It took one man to remove prayer from schools. It took one woman, who we're going to hear from in just a little bit, to cause abortion to be illegal in this country. It took one person called Martin Luther King Jr. to spread a civil rights movement across the world. It took one person called William Seymour to get a burden for awakening and pray and awaken a whole continent. It just takes one. The enemy has lied to you and told you you have to have popular opinion. You have to have a movement. You have to have the backing of many. And I'm here to tell you if nothing comes out of this little sermon but one, one anointed like David who will shake this nation, then we have accomplished something today. It just takes one, one strong man to bind another. It only took one Pharaoh to put all of God's people in bondage. But it only took one Moses to free a million Jewish people from 400 years of bondage. 
It only took one Samuel to overturn a religious system, one Joshua to take the people into the promised land, one William Wallace to free a nation, one William Wilberforce to free the slaves, one Harriet Tubman to build an underground railroad that would free thousands. Do you hear the pages of your history book? It only took one. And I'm here to tell you with all of the confidence of heaven, you're in here. The ones are in this room. The ones that are anointed to shift this nation are in this room. You feel it in your spirit right now. You have a Davidic anointing and God is just looking for one. Quit following the crowd and just be the one. Quit being afraid to stand alone. Saul endangered the whole army because he couldn't be the one. Saul was the one who stood head and shoulders above the rest of Israel. He was the one Goliath was after. And the cowardly leader endangered all of the sons and daughters because he couldn't be the one. But I'm here to tell you in this house, we are a house of the ones. We will not be afraid to stand against the giants. I want to tell you that the children of Israel gathered to fight Goliath. And it says that they set up a battle formation against him. It made Goliath so angry. Just listen to it. He says, why are you setting your army in array against me? Where's the one person? I didn't ask for your army. I just asked for the one. And the giant had authority because the one was afraid. God is just waiting on the one. Today you will be anointed to be that one. And they released a shout. 1 Samuel 17 and 14 says the whole camp of Israel released a shout. But guess what? Nothing happened. You know why? You can shout all you want. But if you're not submitted to him, your shout is just a bunch of noise. I want to tell you there's a lot of noise going on in this nation right now. A lot of shouting on both sides. Even from the church, there are some shouts that carry no authority. They are shouts of political agenda. They are shouts of personal agenda. They are shouts of hidden ambition in the name of Jesus Christ. But they are not the shout of the kingdom. And I'm here to tell you any other noise in this nation besides the noise of the kingdom will not scare the giant. But if just one will shout with the authority of heaven, the enemy must flee. We've been talking about a sound in this house. It will not be a sound that is void of authority. But it will be a sound of those who are circumcised in covenant. David shows up, and there's so much that happens here. He actually showed up to deliver food to his brothers, but really to their captain. And I wish I could talk about corruption because David was actually bringing a bribe from his father to the captain of his brother's army to keep them safe. Corrupt systems never produce giant slayers. David's brothers could have never taken that giant. They were in a system of corruption, and they were being preserved by the bribes of their father. But there was no bribe for David. He wasn't even counted worthy to be on the battlefield. And as he delivered, he heard something. He heard something. He heard the cry of Goliath that had happened for 40 days before David's arrival. But on this day, the wrong person heard it. Oh, I heard some things this weekend. 
Oh, I heard some things that I cannot go back to life as normal. Because all of the children of Israel who were all supposed to be walking in covenant, they were all hearing Goliath defy their God and they did nothing. What you do with what you hear will show me what's inside of you. But on this day, Goliath said it to the wrong person. He released that curse against Yahweh and David could not take it anymore. He marched down there and began to ask, who's going to do something? What's the king going to do for who does something? And you know the story, his brother Eliab began to criticize him. You just need to hit your neighbor and say, ignore the haters. When you become a giant slayer, you will make those stuck in complacent and those stuck in religion really mad. I'm going to say something from the love of my heart. In the recent season of Kevin and I's life, I had to learn to be comfortable with enemies. David had to be comfortable with enemies. He said, and he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let me tell you something. This fear of man that has ensnared this generation, this desire to fit in and, and fit into the popular opinion, it is killing the giant slayers. Because you're not effective for the kingdom if you're not comfortable with haters. Don't come crying to me if somebody's talking about you. I don't have compassion for you. I used to cry the same tears until I realized my focus was more on what people thought instead of what God thought. But now when I lay my head down at night, I love you, brother and sister in Christ. But your words don't carry near the weight in my life as the words of my father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm calling out a group of giant slayers that will not care what people say about you. You will become comfortable with the haters as long as you have the favor of God. Give me the favor of God over the accolades of man. And David was not moved by what he heard from his brother. And so this is what happened. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Are you with me? So this psychological phenomenon happened. It's called fight or flight. It happens to you too. When we're confronted with an enemy, whether it's a bumblebee or a gunman, something happens over our body, and we will respond one of two ways, fight or flight. What happens to the human body when a force called fear confronts you? When fear pushes against you? This is what happens naturally. Increased blood flow to your muscles is activated so that they gain strength. Increased blood pressure, heart rate, and blood sugars will go to the muscles of your body to supply extra energy. The blood clotting function of your body will speed up just to prevent injury in case you bleed. And increased muscle tension will happen to provide the body with extra speed and strength. This is from a psychology book, okay? I read this and I thought, that doesn't sound like we were ever made to flight. No. 
when fear comes at me, if my body starts blood clotting so that when someone cuts my arm off, I don't bleed so bad, that doesn't sound like I was made to flight. If my body starts robbing other areas of energy and feeding it to my muscles so I have increased strength, that doesn't sound like I was made to flight. If energy starts pumping through my body and endorphins so that I can run faster and jump higher and hit harder, that doesn't sound like I was meant to flight. Don't buy the lie of flight. You were made to fight. You were made to fight back in the face of fear. Your body was hardwired that when you are threatened, it will focus on defeating whatever is threatening you. I declare over our sons and daughters, flight is not an option. You were never made to run. You were made to run at what the rest of the culture is running from. You were made to be a giant slayer. You're spiritually and physically wired to fight back. A giant killer will run toward a direction everyone else is running away from. And giant killers will bring freedom to multi-generations. I want to talk about the method of warfare that David chose. And then we're going to pray. We're almost there. So Goliath chose man-to-man combat and David looked around and realized everybody else was flighting and he wanted to fight. And so he made himself available. And you know they took him before Saul because when a little boy starts talking about fighting a giant, it will put you in political places you never thought you would stand. Note to self, giant slayers will always end up in political situations they never meant to stand in because cowardice does not gain you platform. Anointing and authority gains you platform. And I prophesy over this house, there are people under the sound of my voice that God is going to open up kings and politicians to hear the sound of your voice because you will walk in the authority of the kingdom. This house was meant to influence this nation. So David goes from ignoring his brother and wanting to fight a giant to standing face to face with the king. And Saul says, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. And Saul gets out his sword and his armor, puts it on David. And David said, no, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. And he began to take off all the garb that made sense, but was not the method of warfare he had learned. Because David said, oh, Mr. King, if this had been my first battle, I may have followed your pattern. But you were not with me on the backside of a sheep field when a lion and a bear came after something that was precious to me. And in that moment, Mr. Saul, Mr. King, I did not have a sword. I did not have a javelin. I did not have a shield. I did not have a breastplate. All I had was my bare hands and a word from the Lord. And something really strange came upon me in that moment, Mr. King. The spirit of the Lord came upon me and my bare hands ripped apart a lion and ripped apart a bear. Let me just talk to this generation for just a moment. You don't need the bells and whistles of religion to be victorious in your life. All you need is the anointing of the Lord. You don't have to have a pedigree or a list of degrees on your wall. All you have to know is that when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, weapons are optional. 
Look at your neighbor and say, weapons are optional. David learned early in his life, weapons are optional. The spirit of the Lord is what matters. And he learned to fight with nothing so that he would learn to depend on nothing. Let me talk to some of you who have been in your bear and lion battles. Nobody's seeing, feeling like you're not equipped, having nothing in your hand to fight back but the word of the Lord. God is equipping you in a private moment for a public moment of victory. He can't afford to let you stand before a giant and think that you can lean on your own intellect or your own strength or your own arsenal. He is teaching some of us now, you don't need anything but me and a word from my throne. And you can topple any giant, any army, any system, any law that defies heaven. So I'm here to submit to you and the young people in this room, you just need the anointing. You just need the anointing. I'm not here to put my armor on you. I'm not here to make you a little Devin or a little Kevin. I'm not here to make you follow a model that worked a hundred years ago. I'm here to tell you learn how to worship. Learn how to get full of his glory. And whatever giant faces you, you will have the strength to topple that giant. So I'm going to confess to you. It's going to get deep, and I'm so sorry for time, but I'm not. But I do want you to not feel pressure to stay. The Lord said, over this house, he is releasing a Davidic anointing. And today I'm going to lay hands on the young people and anybody else that wants it. I just know I'm instructed to lay hands on sons and daughters. And I would apologize if it wasn't such a clear assignment from the Lord. So I'm sorry, but there's just such... An anointing on this house for sons and daughters, and we have to steward it. The Lord said, Devin, go back home. There is a Davidic anointing that you're going to release over the sons and daughters. And I'm going to align them to be giant slayers. The Davidic anointing, which is the warring worshipers. Those that others have discounted that seem insignificant in the big picture are about to take center stage. Those that even the prophets have overlooked. There's an anointing upon you and today I've come to call that out of you because this is a year of giant slaying in this city and in this nation. I declare in the name of Jesus that this year we will hold the heads of giants over this nation. I declare we will see a turning of America through the sons and daughters. And today he's going to anoint you to do that. This Davidic anointing is to restore the tabernacle of David. Acts 15 and 16 quotes a prophecy from the book of Amos that when the Holy Spirit is being poured out, it says, after this, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins and I will set it up. What did we start here like two years ago without even realizing it? Tabernacle of David, 24 hours of prayer and worship. And this is actually a prophecy thousands of years old from the book of Amos that when the Holy Spirit begins to be poured out for that end time outpouring that the tabernacle of David would be restored a generation that worships day and night night and day day and night night and day never have I seen movements across this nation for 24 hour prayer towers and 24 hour prayer centers and it's all led by young people 
It's college-age students. It's high school students who are giving their time for 24 hours of prayer and worship. It is a prophetic sign of a restoration of the tabernacle of David. Worshiping warriors. And when David's anointing is being poured out, that means that giants in the land are about to fall. That means there is an authority, the key of David, that is being released. So I'm going to do something so strange and weird. You were waiting on it. I know you were. So when I was at this conference, there were so many things that were done. But one of them was that Mr. Dutch got up, and he'll be here next week. So I told him I was doing this. And he had a dream that a tuning fork was being held up over our nation. Well, what's a tuning fork? I have one. I have Dutch's. I got this from him. This is a tuning fork. John Brockman, Pastor John, could so help me with this right now. But when you are in music and you're tuning instruments or voices, it's really bad when you're out of tune. It's really bad. And you can have 20 voices on tune and one that's a little off and it messes up the purity of the sound. So we create these little instruments and this just happens to be a tuning fork and it produces a sound. And when that sound is played, everything else must line up to it. The sound of this tuning fork will not move for you. You must move for it. The sound of this tuning fork will not move for you. You must move for it. And he had a tuning fork, and he had a dream that he had a, um, and this has chunks torn out of it where he hit the thing. This is a mallet. This is a gavel, a gavelin. What's it called? Gavel. And this is what a judge uses to put a finality on decrees that he has released, to put something in law. This is equivalent to our amen. We say amen, which means let it be so. And every time you say amen, it's as if the courts of heaven are releasing that, that gavel. And he said that he saw in the dream an angel of the Lord take a tuning fork and a gavel and begin to hit the tuning fork with the gavel over this nation and call for an alignment. I'm going to tell you it means so much, but I'm going to tell you what it means prophetically to me today, that the court systems of this nation are being called to align with the court system of heaven. God's gavel is calling for an alignment of the court systems and the justice system of this nation to align with the court systems and the justice system of heaven. There is a call for an alignment of the church this is not God tuning to our song. This is our hearts tuning to this moment prophetically. And I'm going to play it for you so you hear it. But I want you to know this. I brought this back. I asked Mr. Dutch if I could bring this because he played it over our nation because that's the authority he's been given. He played it over our Supreme Court because that's the authority he's been given. And I'm following the command of a general and I'm coming back to my city and I'm gonna play it over Chattanooga because I want this city to align with what God is playing over this nation. 
I'm playing it over this church because I want this house to align with heaven. And if you're smart, you'll go home in the spirit and you'll ask the Holy Ghost to tune your house, to tune your children, to tune your heart. We must come in alignment with heaven because we are about to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit we have never seen. Dether, can you come up here and help me hit this? I can't do it. So I just want you to hear a tuning fork. There must be silence. There can be no other sound but the sound of the tuning fork. And when it's played, everything aligns. Go ahead. One sound that's still resonating, even though I took the microphone away. One sound that will resonate and play with purity until every other sound is aligned. And this is what God is doing right now over the church. He's playing the sound of the kingdom. And he didn't even ask you to harmonize. He asked you to come into unison. He didn't even ask you to harmonize. He's calling the church into alignment. And I am calling this house and I am calling this city into alignment with the kingdom. We will not miss this time, this Kairos moment, because God is playing the tuning fork over our nation. What key is he tuning us to? This is my favorite. A psalmist got up this weekend and said, the Lord said, that he's releasing the keys of David to this generation. But not only is he releasing the keys, he's tuning us to the key of David. <laughs> Those of you that are not musicians are like, what? Have you ever heard Kevin say, play, a, play it in A flat? Play it in the key of G. I'm here to tell you there's not a letter to this today. It's called the key of David. He is aligning this generation to the anointing of David. It is the tuning fork that is aligning this sound of this house to the Davidic sound of the tabernacle and the warrior sound of the King David. There is the key of David being played from heaven for us to align with. What does the key of David sound like? This is how I fight my battle. This is what the key of David sounds like. A worshiper, a surrendered one whose heart is yielded to God. God is playing the key of David over a generation and asking them to align. So this is what we're going to do today. I'm going to ask you to remain in an attitude of prayer as I release some things prophetically over this house. I especially am asking for the sons and daughters in this house to pay attention. As I play this tuning fork, I'm playing it for you. I'm calling the sons and the daughters of this house into an alignment. To a Davidic anointing that has been released upon your life. You were born for such a time as this. You were not born for addiction. You were not born for sexual perversion. You were not born to party. You were born to serve a king. And you were born to shake a nation. And right now in the name of Jesus, anything in your heart that is out of line with your God-given destiny, I'm calling you into order. 
I'm calling you into order. I'm awakening the warrior within you. I'm awakening the anointing on this house. God, anything in our sound of worship, anything in the preaching of our word, anything in our leadership, our structure, our finances that doesn't align with this sound right now, God, we surrender to alignment. Align our hearts. Align our hearts with this sound. Align our hearts with this sound. Align our sons and daughters with this sound. I speak life over the sons and daughters of this house, and I declare you are called to fight back. As I was in Washington, I began to pray began to use the authority God had given me. And I'm going to focus on one particular battle right now. There is a giant who is going to fall in this nation. And we are called to war against it. So if you feel like I'm taking a political platform, I apologize. I'm taking a kingdom one. Wherever politics fall, I don't care. Because there are so many prayers I want to pray over our nation. There are so many prayers I want to pray over this city for awakening and revival and outpouring and, and fruit and blessing and the gifts of the Spirit. But there is something that is blocking what God wants to do. And I've never seen it as such an enemy as I see it now. So those of you who think I've lost my mind, I have. Because last night at 10 o'clock, I was at the memorial to the unborn here in our city weeping before I came to you today. Because I'm here to tell you, I'm not running from it anymore. The shedding of innocent blood must be removed from this nation. We will not coexist with such legislation. God has played a tuning fork over the Supreme Court and he's calling America into alignment and the sons and the daughters of this house are going to help me turn this. Oh, there are many other giants we're gonna slay, but right now I need to tackle this one. This is my assignment today and it's the assignment of this house. There is a spirit over this nation that has been given access because of a broken down covenant and the blood of the innocent. And I came to expose truth because I decree that this generation will see the fall of abortion in America. This city, I'm just gonna tell you, there are angels that came back with me from Washington and they're in this house right now and you can think I'm crazy, but they are legislative angels. Why are they in Chattanooga? You have no idea what we've been set up for. You can record this because when it happens, we're going to lean back on the word of the Lord. Let me tell you a story about history you don't know and where I was last night. Because Chattanooga is one of the only major cities in the United States of America where abortion does not exist. You have been called to be a light to a nation. And the government will know about Chattanooga. And I declare there will be a memorial to the unborn in Washington, D.C. before the life of my ch children ends. But in this nation, there was an abortion clinic that took over 35,000 lives from our city. There's no condemnation. You don't know the lies that were told to these daughters. You don't know the stress they were in. There's no condemnation. But there's 35,000 lives that were taken from this earth in our city. And it just took one 
that ran toward what everyone else was running away from. And a coalition of prayer began. One of my neighbors was a part of this. And the churches in this city raised enough money to outbid the abortion clinic, the abortion doctor for the clinic. And the churches in this city did a prayer march and bought out the abortion clinic. It's called the National Memorial to the Unborn. They bought it and they tore it down. This is what the church did in this city. They bought it with their own money, they tore it down, and they placed an Ebenezer stone in its place as a memorial and a repentant stone for the lives that had been taken in this city. And ever since then, there's never been an abortion clinic within the city limits of Chattanooga. And as long as I have breath in my body and I'm assigned to this city, there will never be an abortion clinic in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Not only did they tear it down and put an Ebenezer stone, but they went after those who had aborted their babies because it's about redemption, not condemnation. And they provided counseling and a place of healing. And there's a memorial wall there. And if you go, it's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They were allowed to write messages and put stones on the walls to the children they had aborted. I'm going to do something that you're going to, some of you, be angry with me about. But I went last night and I recorded some of those stones. And this is why. I'm going to say it to this house and I'm going to say it to live stream. There is someone watching, there are many watching that are considering abortion. And the child you are considering aborting, I have come to stand in the gap for. Because that child has prophetic destiny. And the enemy has lied to you. He's terrified you. And I came to bring a truth that will hurt but will save your life and the life of your child. And I'm going to read these statements of how wicked abortion is. Because the babies are killed, but the parents die a slow death for the rest of their life. Those women marching on Washington saying, my body is my own, do not represent the women who cry every day because they believe the lie of an abortionist. I'm going to read two plaques that are in that building. And I hope all of America hears me. Because abortion has been a part of the greatest scandal, conspiracy, and cover-up of a liberal movement. Quote, I am Sandra Kano. I became known as Mary Doe when the U.S. Supreme Court released Roe versus Wade, companion decision Doe versus Bolton. Doe versus Bolton allowed abortion for virtually any reason. I am against abortion. I never sought an abortion. I have never had an abortion. Abortion is murder. For over 20 years and against my will, my name has been synonymous with abortion, and this decision was based on fraud and deceit. I will live and strive to see abortion ended in America, signed Sandra Cano as she stood in that memorial in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So America, 
Your Doe versus Bolton was a fraud. And Sandra Cano wants abortion ended in this country. Plaque number two. I wish you could feel the anointing in my spirit. I am Norma McCorvey. I became known as Jane Doe on January 22nd, 1973, when the U.S. Supreme Court released the Roe versus Wade edict to create a woman's right to abortion. This is her. She was in Chattanooga, and this is what she screams out today. I am now a child of God, a new creation in Christ. I am forgiven and redeemed. Today, I publicly recant my involvement in the tragedy of abortion. I humbly ask for forgiveness for the millions of women and unborn babies who experience the violence of abortion, and I will live to see abortion overturned in America. This is your row, America in Roe versus Wade. She is repenting. It's a lie. It's a lie. And our sons and daughters will not stand for it. The man who invented the method of abortion before he died became saved and dedicated the rest of his life to exposing the lies. And they're trying to release a movie on his life right now and we need to pray it ends up in every theater in America. It's a left wing lie! And that giant's head is going to fall. Damon Thompson had a vision that Lou Engle was spinning in a circle. And he was spinning so fast he couldn't see what was in his hand. But blood was flinging all out from the circle. And he said, God, slow him down. And God said, no, you better speed up. And all of a sudden, Damon could see. And it was the head of Goliath. And God spoke to him and said, Lou Engle and the youth of America will hold the head of abortion over this nation. They will overturn Roe versus Wade. Hear me, America! We want abortion overturned! Our tax dollars will not pay for it! We will not stand for murder! I hope your heart breaks into a thousand pieces when I read this. I hope the heart of every believer breaks into a million pieces until you cry a pool of tears with me in intercession that this stops. Here are the monuments. Here are some of the messages. One parent says, then I didn't know and now I can never forget. One said, I failed to protect you. Please forgive me. Another said, I believed a lie and I took your precious life, but please know now that you are loved. Another said, I wish I could have saved you. Another said, now I now know the life I could have had with you. Another said, we loved you. It was just too late. Another said, I knew not what I did. Another said, please forgive my rejection. Another mom said, I was too scared to stand 
and I am so sorry. Another said, a part of me died too. Another said, I believed your father's lies, and I am so sorry. And block after block said, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. It's a wall of repentance from those that when you see the abortion marches, they're not in the parade. Because their lives have been forever broken by this damnable act. And we're not having it in this nation anymore. Devin, do you really think you can do something? Mm -hmm. Because it's not me. I feel like little David. Is there not a cause? Is the lives of thousands of young people in this nation not a cause for us to lose some sleep and lift our voice? Oh, maybe it's too inconvenient for you. But it's a cause for me. I want to ask our young people to stand. Oh, we're going somewhere. I only want you to come up here if you're ready to be anointed with a Davidic anointing. I'm going to pray for the adults too, but I'm about to do something. Sons and daughters in this house, if you just want to line up across the front, that forage age, that high school, middle school. So I had a moment yesterday. Do you just feel the weight of the assignment of stewardship upon our lives in this house? So I was broken, and I said, God, I hear your call that our house, our city is to do something about this. We are a living example to the rest of this nation that abortion can end in a city. And if we just end it one city at a time, I'll take that. One state at a time, I'll take that. But I went to this conference, and I just didn't quite feel a release for my assignment. Zion wasn't feeling it either. I love her. She kept saying she wasn't feeling released. And whew. John, when you all were singing, hear the roar, this was just stirring in my spirit. So I'm going to tell on my crazy self. You all say, let the enemy know we're coming. Well, guess what, young people? I already let the devil know you're coming. I've already told on you. And now I'm going to anoint you for it. You think I'm crazy. I'm taking some of you to Washington in September. You just wait. I already told him. Because yesterday I had this prophetic moment. We were leaving to go back to the hotel to get our stuff for our flight. And last minute, Doris and I were in the cab with my girls, and I said, hey, Mr. Cab Driver, how long would it take us to go by the Supreme Court? He said, four minutes. I said, let's go. I didn't want to miss my flight, but there was something in my spirit. So this little cab driver pulls me up to the Supreme Court steps. And I was in a hurry, right? Let me tell you something crazy, too. Yesterday, I wore my daughter's shoes, okay? Small confession to make. Zion, Judah, and I are all the same size right now of shoes. Right? That's scary. And my shoes were not comfortable enough. So I said, Judah, those furry boots, can I wear them today? So I want you to know I wore Judah's shoes yesterday. Where was Goliath standing? On the land of Judah. I didn't even know. This is such a setup. I've got on Judah's shoes. I'm like, Mr. Cab Driver, I know he's got to leave the meter running, so it's really about money, and I start running. And I get to the steps of the Supreme Court, and the Holy Spirit says, don't stop running. It's quite a few steps, y'all. 
I had on Judah's boots. And with all my might, I ran like a crazy person, just as fast as I could. I ran, I ran, I ran up every step until I got to the doors of the Supreme Court. And I fell upon them with my hands. And I looked around, and somehow nobody was there. So I lifted my voice, and I put my hands on the threshold of the Supreme Court. And I said, I am running at you not running from you. It was my David moment. I ran as fast as I could. And I said, Mr. Supreme Court, I call you into alignment with heaven. I declare you will line up with the courts of heaven. And I don't know what kind of security cameras they have out there, but I began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And this is the spirit I prayed against. I'm going to pray against it right now. The Lord had been taking me to 2 Kings chapter 10 where there was a wicked spirit. It's not Jezebel. And her name, this giant's not Goliath. Her name is Athaliah. I talked to Athaliah yesterday, y'all. I told her you were coming. Athaliah has set upon the Supreme Court of the United States of America long enough. Who is Athaliah? She's a wicked ruler who took illegitimate authority to rule the nation of God's people. And she killed her own sons to keep the throne. You want to talk about a religious spirit. Preservation, not inheritance. Preservation of kingdom, not inheritance. Athaliah was in illegal authority and killed every rightful heir so that she could stay in authority. She was wicked. She was given over to sexual perversion and idolatry. And she was killing sons and daughters, which is abortion. Until seven-year-old Joash, who had been hidden from birth, was brought out to the temple. The priest brought him out and stood him next to the pillar of the temple where the king stood. And when Athaliah heard a noise, this was not an empty noise. She heard a sound coming from the temple. And when she heard the sound, you know what the sound was, Pastor John? It was the sounds of sons and daughters being seated. When they crowned Joash, the people began to shout, because the rightful king was in place. And I'm here to tell you, sons and daughters, this land does not belong to a liberal media or belong to a president or belong to Congress and Senate. This land belongs to you. It belongs to the sons and daughters. And Athaliah has tried to kill you. She's tried to oppress you. She wants to maintain her illegitimate rule. But when Joash stood next to the pillar, Athaliah began to scream, Treason! And they took her out and they chopped her head off. They executed her. I turned from the doors of the Supreme Court. And I looked and there were 16 pillars before me. I put my right hand on every pillar. And I said, Joash will return to the temple. In the name of Jesus, Joash will reign in this temple. A generation that will restore righteousness. Over 16 pillars I prayed. And I shouted and I said, Athaliah, I have been hiding Joash. As a mother in Israel, I promise you, I am raising sons and daughters. 
daughters with legitimate authority to this nation. I am bringing them to Washington and they will overthrow abortion and they will overthrow you. My God, I wish you could feel the anointing in my belly. I called her out at the Supreme Court doors and I told her that in Chattanooga we were raising up sons and daughters that would go in a Davidic anointing and shake this nation. So here I am keeping my promise. Athaliah is screaming because you stepping into your rightful place of authority is what dethrones her. Sons and daughters, you using your voice and your prayers, you are the one that will change this. And today I didn't come to shelter you. I came to arm you. I bought for you a gift. And if there's not enough, I'll get more. And if adults want them, I want them to have them too. I bought 300 life bands. Because when Lou Engle started this fight against abortion many, many years ago, a son was on a fast, a teenage boy, and had a vision of these life bands. And for many years, this is a revival of this, for many years young people wore those life bands so that every time they saw the bracelet on their wrist, they would pray a 22-word prayer to replace the 22-word prayer that was taken out of school. Chad, if you can put that prayer Lou Engle, by the Holy Spirit, heard this 22-word prayer. And it goes like this. I plead the blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. End abortion and send revival to America. 22 words that shake hell. Eddie James actually put this to a song several years ago. Whether you memorize this 22-word prayer, which I have already memorized, or whether you pray your own, I literally brought you those life bands. You know why? Because I'm not kidding. This is not like, ooh, let's just feel the glory in the altar and then go home and see what God's going to say next Sunday. No, I'm mobilizing you to stop this today. I want you to wear them if you're going to pray with me every day. I want you to go through your schools and say, God, forgive the sins of my nation. Send revival to America. End abortion. When your friends ask you, what is that life band? You tell them you're releasing life over this nation. So I want, I want them to go ahead and start handing them out. I want some of you to put them on your wrists. Don't make it like a big deal. Just start passing them down. And right now, I have come to release a Davidic anointing over your life. John Brotman, I do this to you every time I need you on the drums. Y'all don't know, but that's why John was brought to this house. He has a Davidic anointing on his life. He's going to release that over you. And you're going to hear a cadence that is not to run away. It's to run toward. We're beginning a movement today. And I'll do it if it's all by myself. But I make this declaration, as long as you are with me, we will not have abortion in this city. As long as there's breath in your body, we will use our breath to end abortion in America. And it's not going to stop with abortion. There are going to be many royal decrees that you make as sons and daughters that will shift this nation. But it's going to start here. And we're going to release a Davidic generation that will rebirth the tabernacle of David and bring awakening to this nation. Awakening, not religion, 
revival, signs, wonders, and miracles. That's what you were made to walk in. You're not meant to be a victim in a school shooting. You're meant to be an authority that shifts heaven and earth. You're meant to take authority over your high school, over your home, over your neighborhood, and over this city. And I just watched two weeks ago where the Oval Office was open to young people to speak into political decisions. And you hear me, it will not be the last. You better make yourself ready. Because once you start decreeing you're a giant slayer, you will find yourself in positions like David did you never thought you would be.